Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, of course, with Tina Spring. And today we have a very special guest by the name of Deb Bauer. And what's interesting about Deb is that she is a holistic dog behaviorist and well-being coach, and she specializes in working with blind and deaf dogs. And so she has over 30 years of experience teaching and consulting with dogs and their people. She's an international expert in working with blind, deaf, and blind, deaf dogs. So we wanted her to come on today and talk to us about some of the enrichment that you can do for your blind or deaf dog. I think many of us think once our dogs begin to lose one of their their faculties, that somehow there's, what what can we do? There's not much we can do. And, and I think Deb is here to tell us that that's not true that there's probably a lot we can do for those blind and deaf dogs. So thank you, Deb, for being here. And Tina, you get the first question. So one of the questions I have for you, Deb, is, is it predictable that if a dog starts losing their vision, which sense they will tend to lean on more than another? Oh, that's a great question. And it's one that I'm not sure I have a scientific answer to, but with my own dogs and watching them, I think it really depends on the dog. So some of our dogs, just like people, some of us are very visual. Some of us learn best by watching. Some of us learn best by doing. And so I think our dogs are the same way. And I've had some dogs that really like to watch things in the environment happening, and they seem to learn by watching and kind of gathering information. And then I have other dogs that really sort of smell their way through life, even if they can see, right? They're always following their nose. Their nose is kind of always kind of getting them into trouble or pulling them off the side of the sidewalk to go see where the squirrels and the bunnies have been. So I think it really depends. A dog that has really relied on their vision, I think is going to have a little bit harder time adjusting than a dog that really is already used to following their nose. I had a, I had a many a thousand years ago when I was young, uh, I had a, a wonderful Husky in class named Inu Itsu, which um, translated to snow blind, but he was born blind. Okay. Right. And so we, he was in a, a foundation clicker class and we were working with him. And when it got to an exploration game, I, again, I was young and more arrogant than I am now. Um, and I assumed that he would like, instead of six interesting things that he could look at and interact with, that he would like six interesting scents. And he was not a scent guy. He didn't care at all. So then we very quickly adjusted to, well, what six things do we have that'll make different noises? And then he was all over that. So I think a lot of times owners, families, trainers have a belief that like, oh, if as my dog's going deaf, they're going to lean on this scent and or this sense. And sometimes the dog picks something completely different. So I, I was curious what your, your thoughts were on it. So I also think we're seeing more and more blind and or deaf dogs in rescue and puppies coming up. I have my own thoughts on that. 
Um, but I'm sure that you do as well. So I think we can definitely talk about the aging process and dogs that are losing faculties as they age. Uh, but I, I think it's also a great thing to talk about, you know, adopting that blind dog or that deaf dog and, and the implications of that and how to do enrichment for them. Cause I think it's in many ways, um, more important. I agree. And I think that enrichment we know is so important for all dogs, right? But when we have a dog that's missing a sense or that sense is, is perhaps diminished in some way, I think it's even more important because they're not getting that engagement with the environment all the time, like another dog would be. So I live with three dogs and two of them have been blind and deaf from birth. And one is a senior now and is starting to lose that vision and hearing. So I have a combination going on at my house and it's, it's, interesting what they each need but my dog that could see and hear if I got up and moved across the room he'd watch me or he'd listen to what I was doing and he was just kind of getting some information about his environment and some engagement perhaps he might get up and follow me as I leave the room my blind and deaf dogs don't get that so if I don't help engage them with something, they're just going to continue to sleep on the dog bed. And so they could sleep the whole day away, um, you know, which every now and then is okay. But if they're just sleeping the whole day away every day, they're not getting that engagement. They're not, um, they're not living life. And, um, you know, there has been some correlation sort of um that's being looked at i think in research of do dogs as they get older and they lose their vision and their hearing are they more susceptible to canine cognitive decline because they're not engaging their brain so there's a lot of reasons why you know enrichment is i think imperative for a good quality of life so that that's a really interesting idea. I think it's a whole kind of if you you know use it or lose it, right? So that if these things are deteriorating, how can we keep their brain engaged and active and curious so that we don't so that doesn't sort of um, disintegrate as well per se. Uh, that's not quite the word I was looking for, but um, it'll do. The other thing I found I wanted to ask you about is your dogs who were blind and deaf from birth do they have a what is their um circadian rhythm you find that if they do sleep all day are they up all night do you have this you have to try and keep them on a diurnal schedule or is that an eight i think that depends on the dog so i've been really lucky with most of my blind and deaf dogs that they have a little bit of light sensitivity so that even though they don't have visible eyes, um, they have some tissue there. And I believe that it's, I try to explain it to people. If you close your eyes and the light is on, you can still see a little bit of light kind of through your eyelids. And if you put your hand in front of them and cause a shadow, you can see that difference. 
So I've been I've been really fortunate. Uh, the two that I currently have have a little bit of light sensitivity, so they can tell at night when I shut the light off. So they sort of learn the routine. However, I have had a puppy this past year, and yes, if I don't keep her engaged during the day, then she wakes up in the middle of the night and she, you know, has a lot that she wants to do. <laughs> so. <laughs> With dogs that uh, go blind later and may need to have their eyes removed and they don't have any light sensitivity, I usually recommend to people that they create a specific bedtime routine, right? So that the dog knows when we go through this routine, there's going to be a long period where we all sleep. But also adding that enrichment, adding exercise, adding things during the day to, you know, keep them up and active and alert so that when it is time to sleep, they're more ready to do that. So let's get into what kind of enrichment you, let's start with deaf. Well, I'm just going to pick. So talk to me about some enrichment we can do that maybe people don't think of for dogs that have lost or are losing their hearing. So with a dog that's deaf, it's a little bit perhaps easier to find enrichment because we can engage them with their eyes, right? And we know that dogs love to smell, so we can engage them with their smell, their sense of smell. But I'm always looking at all the different senses and how can we use all of them. So I also incorporate um, body awareness and moving through and over and under different things. And Sometimes we find that with dogs that are deaf, that they run into something, knock something off our coffee table, right? It doesn't sort of make as much difference to them because they don't hear it falling. And so just making them, helping them to become aware of how they're moving through space. Um, and also we want to build their confidence because a dog that is either born deaf or loses their hearing later can have some anxiety. Because they might hear something and not be able to pinpoint exactly what it is because their hearing is starting to kind of fade away. Or maybe they don't know where it's coming from. And so if we can increase their confidence by doing different things with enrichment, giving them problems to solve, um, you know, there's lots of puzzle toys available, but there's lots of things you can do at home. You know, I like to create a big box and put packing paper and empty water bottles and, you know, cardboard tubes from the toilet paper rolls, all kinds of things in there. Um, and just let them investigate, put some food in the bottom, put their favorite toys in there. They gain confidence by moving all of those things, right? So if they have to stick their head into something where there's things that move around and maybe that do make a noise if they're losing their hearing, um, that can all really help to boost their confidence so they're not feeling quite as anxious, hopefully. I'm dealing with that with my older boy right now. Is He hears enough that he recognizes something's going on, but he doesn't know exactly where it is or what it is, and so he can get a little worried about things. Um, so I'm actually... When I do enrichment with him, I try to incorporate some soft like noises so that they're not as startling for him, but he can be having a good time while he's hearing these things and hopefully not be as anxious. Do you find that dogs um, 
as if they're aging into this, if they are um, becoming blind or they're becoming deaf or even losing their sense of smell, do you find that they tend to show signs of, you said they can get anxious, but of, of fear, perhaps of depression? Do they tend to, to shut down more? Are they clingier with their owners? What are some of the things that owners might want to be looking for that might give them cues that things are starting to deteriorate and they might need to be more supportive of their dog? That's a great question too. And I'll give you some examples of what I'm dealing with with my older dog right now. And so we recently moved. We moved within the last two weeks. And I hadn't realized just how much his hearing and his sight had deteriorated until we moved. Um, he is really having a hard time with steps. Um, but in our other house, he was doing the steps fine. But what I noticed at our old house was him jumping on and off the furniture. He was taking longer to jump down and to jump up. So I think, um, you know, the depth perception there was kind of changing. But now that we're in the new house, he's having a hard time with steps. So I know that his depth perception is, is a little off. Um, with the hearing, I can no longer say, hey, let's go this way or come this way, buddy, or call him from the other room. Um, when I come home, you know, he's not meeting me at the door anymore. I have to actually go in and move around and make some noise and let him, you know, smell and hear that I'm there. So there's there's little things like that. And then there's the things that we tend to get frustrated about. So trying to call him back in from the yard and he's not coming. And my first reaction even though I live with deaf dogs, like I know this stuff, but my first reaction is just to start to get frustrated and to call him a little bit louder, you know, or a little bit more kind of intensely, um, but it doesn't work. And then I'm reminded, oh yeah, yeah, I need to, I need to communicate with him a different way. So those are some of the things that, that you might see. There might be some fear, um, Julie, like you mentioned. And anxiety, I tend to see um, with some of my clients reactivity starting. So maybe some growling or some snapping that, you know, the dog really never did before. But now they're sleeping more soundly. If they can't hear, they're more likely to startle when they wake up. And if they're not, if their vision's not clear, they may not understand what they're seeing. So having someone reach for them quickly and they're they're not really seeing what's happening until all of a sudden the hand is right there in their space. Um, so I really focus on let's try to give them some information ahead of time about what's going on instead of just having it be a surprise. I'm often stunned by the people who live with a dog who's deaf who don't realize the dog is deaf. Yeah. Like it, it's amazing to me. Um, I know we've had puppies in class that they've been in class eight weeks and I'm like, yeah, that puppy doesn't hear. And they're just, you know, annoyed that the puppy won't listen to them. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's because he's deaf, you know, and I'm usually gently trying to give them testing they can do at home that they can start to sort it out for themselves. Um, but yeah, it amazes me how often people have a deaf animal in their home and don't realize that 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 dog is deaf 
and just get really, really frustrated. And like him or lump him, Rush Limbaugh had a fantastic quote about this when he lost his hearing, that uh, hearing loss is the only disability that we blame on the disabled, right? Like if they would just pay attention more, if they would just look at us more, whatever, if they just tried harder, they'd be able to hear. And I know I I see that played. I mean, I'm a little bit hard of hearing. I don't know a dog trainer who isn't, um, but <laughs> I'm a little hard of hearing. And so if I'm not looking at you when you're talking to me, I I may not hear you literally. And it makes people really frustrated. And I'm like, well, I don't have any control over it. Like, believe me, if I could fix the the tinnitus and the hearing loss, I would. Right. Um, so it's interesting that people get so frustrated. So a lot of times uh, in every class we teach, I wish the world would adopt this, but hand signals and a verbal cue. And then I also, or a sound cue. And then I also talk about as dogs age, in my experience, they either go blind or they go deaf, sometimes both. Uh, and when they lose one of those senses, we need to add another cueing system. So maybe while the dog still hears, we're turning on a light at night when we're calling them in. So they have another cue to come inside. When you're working with a family with either a blind or a deaf or both dog, do you talk about some of those things with them to alleviate stress? Yes, that's that's perfect. That's actually what I what I recommend is if you know that your dog is, of course, going to get older and possibly lose a sense, make sure that you do have other cues in place. So use a touch cue at the same time that you're talking, at the same time that you're, you know, giving a, a hand signal. And if you don't know, I mean, none of us really knows. Like there's all all kinds of reasons why a dog might lose their sight or their hearing and it could happen very suddenly so don't only rely on one way of communicating with your dog plus it's fun right if you if you can give your dog a hand signal from across the room when you're on a zoom call or you're on the phone and have them you know go to their bed and lay down or come towards you or something it's really cool um, to teach a hand signal and a verbal and um, in my world, with my dogs that are both blind and deaf, I also use different touches with them. So anything that you can do to kind of prepare ahead of time, I think is really beneficial to you and for and to the dog. And I also talk about this with enrichment. So if you, not necessarily with a, with a deaf dog, but you have a dog that is um, blind or is losing their sight, you want to try to introduce them to activities and enrichment that they can do ahead of time so that they're already comfortable with it. Because trying to add something new after your dog has suddenly lost their vision can be a little bit overwhelming for the dog. But if they already have specific things in place that they know how to do and they enjoy doing, then you can continue those through this transition. And that also helps with their confidence because you're giving them something they can already be successful with. I was going to say one time I had a client whose dog was losing his sight. And so one of the things that the, that the dog would easily startle, his hearing was fine, at least for now. So one of the things that we did was I created 
he had a buddy dog that he really loved. But if the dog came up too soon, it would startle him. So we put some bells on the collar of the, the helper dog so that the dog who was going blind could hear his buddy coming. And that seemed to really help ease things for him that he wasn't startled because he recognized that that particular timber of bell went with his buddy dog. And so I said, okay, so we need to do something for you as well. So I made little elastic bands with a completely different kind of bell. So it had a different sound for the owners to wear so that they wouldn't startle the dog. And we found that that was actually very useful. Now that wouldn't work for a, a deaf dog, I understand. But if your dog is blind, providing that sound cue and that we did that before he was completely blind so that he knew which bell was associated with, with whomever and it wasn't a complete startling. And that worked really well to reduce his anxiety of being surprised, at least by the members of his family. So do you do anything like that? That's brilliant. And it's so important, isn't it, to kind of just let them know what to expect in their life. I mean, I think about us as people and I like to know what to expect in my day. And yes, there's going to be things that happen that are unexpected, but I can handle the expected things a lot better than I can handle a whole bunch of unexpected things coming my way. And there's so many things that we expect of our dogs. You know, we expect them to let us groom them and cut their nails and put a leash on them and take them in the direction we want to walk and, you know, all of these things. And uh, small dogs, think about a small dog and how many times we want to pick them up during the day, right? And if you have a dog that can't see or hear any of that coming, what must that be like? <laughs> to just be, you know, swooped up by some by some giant and like carried somewhere and you have no idea where you're going. Like uh, a bird or, of prey has got you. Yeah, or what's going on. And uh, so just being able to give them that information, I think really helps them to feel much safer. Right. And that's where I think a touch cue would be really important. So you walk up to the little dog and you touch them in a certain way, they know that you're there. And that's a signal that my person is there. And then you pick them up rather than just drive it. I mean, I kept thinking if I were a little dog and kept swooping me up like that, I just, I just think, how do you not get nauseous from being swooped oh. in the air like that? You know, they have really great constitutions because I'm not sure I would be able to handle all that swooping so well. The other thing I was going to ask you about are um, if you do like with clicker training, it's not going to work with a deaf dog, but you can do like light training. It's something you can also do like with goldfish. If you want to do like positive reinforcement with goldfish, you can use, uh, believe it or not, you can use a pen light and click the light on and off and then give them a little treat. And so I'm thinking if that works for goldfish, it certainly should work pretty well for a deaf dog. If you, you know, and then I would also think too that one of the things that would be really important for, for a deaf dog um, would be to make sure that the dog understands that, that the most important thing he can do is to cue into his owner, probably for a, a blind dog too, but for a deaf dog to avoid things, at least, you know, be sure you look at me and I will give you the hand cue to do. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is, so, so one is, is what kind of cueing do you do? Um, and then my second question is, 
how did your blind dogs handle the move? Because I know one thing that's so important, at least I thought it was really important for blind dogs, is to have their environment remain stable and not have stuff moved all around. So I know my way around. So how did you manage that other than, you know, to help them understand that, that we're in a new environment and you're still safe? First of all, I would love to train a goldfish. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I would love to to play around with that. <laughs> there are a number of different I keep thinking things. when I'm too old to have dogs, right? I'll be You'll sitting here training goldfish. <laughs> there are videos seriously just it isn't a diversion. There are videos that show goldfish that play soccer and play basketball and football. They move this stuff around. And there was one where the, the goldfish was trained to go through a hoop. So the goldfish goes up and he swims past the hoop, but not through it. And then he looks up and she doesn't give him the treat. She doesn't flash the light and give him a treat because he didn't actually go through the hoop. And he looked at her and then he went down to the bottom of the tank and he wouldn't move. I mean, I swear this thing was pouting. It was just, it was so cute. Anyway, it's all on YouTube. But back to dogs. Back to dogs. So with my with my deaf dogs, I like to use a hand signal as a marker. So I might use a thumbs up or I might use what's commonly called a hand flash. Um, I've also heard it called a starfish where you would open your hand very quickly from a from a fist into an open hand. I have tried to use a light in the past. I haven't found it very helpful except in very specific environments because if you're outside or if you're in a bright room they may miss that little light flash i also work with dogs that have some compulsive type behaviors and light chasing and shadow chasing so i try to stay away from that um, if i don't know for sure that the dog is fine with it because a lot of the dogs that i work with are of herding type breeds because of the um the genetics involved with with um merle to merle breedings and things like that so they have that tendency to want to chase so i tend to just use um, a hand signal however tina you did mention like flashing the porch light so um that i find is a little bit different than flashing a handheld light and so i will you know, at night, if I need the dog to come in from the yard, I'll just flash the light off and then back on. Um, and then they know that I'm at the back door kind of thing. You can also use lights in the same way if in the house, if you need to communicate something to your dog, you're moving from one room to another, or perhaps a guest is coming in, you want to give them a warning or something that, hey, someone's going to, someone new is going to appear in your, in your home. So you can use light that way. With blind dogs, you can use a clicker. You can use a verbal marker and say like a yes word. There's all kinds of different noises and sounds that you could use. And with my dogs that are both blind and deaf, I use a touch. So um, I always tell people, oh, I, I clicker train my blind and deaf dogs. And they're like, Whoa how can you do that when your dog can't hear the clicker? But it's really the concept and not the specific, you know, uh, sound or light or hand signal. And so I have a specific touch that I give my dogs. I actually use a double little double tap with my finger on the top of their withers. 
Um, so that's the part at the very bottom of the dog's neck along their back where there's kind of a little bump there. And the reason I use two taps instead of one is because I don't want to just accidentally brush my hand and touch my dog and have them kind of misinterpret that. So I'm very clear with the different touches that I use uh, with them on different parts of their bodies to mean different things. I love that. That's really good. That's very thoughtful. I really like that. And I already forgot the second part of your question. It had to do with <laughs> creating a stable environment when you move that for blind oh, dogs, yeah. it's, it's um, one of the things I was telling th- this family that I was working with, with the bells is don't move your furniture around, decide on an arrangement that works really well for everybody and to the best of your ability, keep it that way to make it easier for your dog to navigate. So I wondered how you did it with a move. That's really fascinating. Well, I didn't have a choice about the move. Um and keeping things the same. So we just did the best that we could. And, you know, in the old environment, I tried to, as I got boxes packed up, I tried to move them out of the dog's main rooms, right? So that everything sort of stayed the same in their little areas. Um, But it got to the point where, you know, I did have boxes in different places that they might run into. So I tried to show them that they were there and not just kind of leave them, you know, in the environment. So I would put the box down like in front of them and help them sniff it and help them, you know, walk around it. And they learned pretty quickly how to do that. Again, these two were born blind. So they have kind of learned how to navigate and how to explore their environment, you know, already. So they were familiar with that. And then It was a little weird for them when all the furniture was moved out, (laughs) but you could see they would still walk sort of the same pathways through the room as if the furniture was there. And then moving into the new space, you know, in the beginning, I take them around and I show them the, the house and the layout on a leash so that they have the security of feeling that I'm with them. I have them on a leash. They know I'm not going to let them run into anything. And I just let them kind of sniff around and I show them the different paths from their bed to the door or from their bed to the water bowl. And then as they sort of, you know, begin to map that out, I'll give them more and more and more freedom. And I'll like walk, like right now we've been here two weeks so right now I will walk with them. They're not on a leash anymore. But when I go to take them outside or I'm taking them, you know, up or down the stairs, I make sure that I'm right there next to them so I can be offering some cues if I need to um, and some guidance and just sort of some steering. Um, and it's interesting to watch them because they are, they're adjusting at different rates. So my puppy is just gung-ho, going to run all over the place. Um, doesn't matter what she runs into. My older dog that has been blind and deaf from birth has traveled with me a lot. So he's gotten used to kind of mapping out a new environment quickly. And so he is um, hes doing very well. Every now and then I just need to let him know here's the top of the stairs, right? We're, <laughs> let's let's pause a minute instead of just walking out onto the air. 
And then my older one that is losing his sight, um, you know, I talked a little bit about he's he's kind of struggling with the stairs, especially. I mean, he can see enough not to run into the furniture still, but he he really the the difference in in height and in depth perceptions really been a challenge for him. Have you ever used um, like scent cues to delineate boundaries? Like, for example, to use like a peppermint to delineate the top of the stairs or do scent cues to delineate areas that the dog is, is a reminder. Oh, this means that there are stairs coming and or have you ever used like uh, scent work as a form of enrichment for your blind and deaf dogs? I love scent work. Um, and it's, I think it's very important for all dogs, but I, yeah, I love scent work and, um, my puppy and I are actually, um, training in nose work and, you know, I just, I think scent work is great all around. I think it has so many benefits, but I don't use it for helping them to navigate. Um, uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. One is as you learn about scent. And, and, you know, if you are doing any kind of scent work, nose work with your dog, you'll learn that scent doesn't stay where you put it. It kind of travels everywhere. And depending on, you know, if you open the refrigerator, if you open a window, if you open a door, if you walk by, all of that scent that you've just added to that, let's say the table leg, is all going to shift like all over your house in different ways. And so... I think that if people add different scents to different areas of the house or different pieces of furniture, they're all going to kind of mix together, which is sort of maybe going to defeat the purpose. And also when we think about how amazing our dog's noses are, my dogs already know whether they're in the kitchen, whether they're in my bedroom, whether they're in the bathroom, the living room, out on the porch, like they already kind of know that and have it figured out. And what I have found is when I use something smelly, like let's say I'm cleaning and I mop the floor, it takes my dogs a while to trust that they can step on that floor because it smells weird to them, right? It smells different. So once that odor dissipates, they'll come back out and walk on the floor. But even if the floor is dry and it still has that odor from the cleaner, they don't trust it. They don't really want to walk on it. It's the same thing if we use a lot of perfumey things in our house. Um, that can really kind of confuse a dog who is mainly using their scent to, to navigate. Now, there are people that have great success with putting scents on things. I just don't think it's an, it's necessary. Um, and so with what I know kind of about scent from teaching nose work, I just think I'm going to let my dogs kind of navigate naturally with whatever natural odor is coming off of things. My blind and deaf dogs can tell the difference between how a pair of nail clippers smells and how a rush smells and how a comb smells, right? Or how their eye drops smell. And so before I do something with them, like grooming or giving them eye drops, I let them smell whatever it is. 
that's kind of my way of letting them know what's going to happen. And I can tell from how they respond that they know the difference. And that's without me putting any special, you know, odor on, on anything. And all of the grooming supplies are all kept in the same container, like all piled on top of each other. But they know the difference. They can go to their toy box and dig through there and find, you know, whatever toy it is they're looking for. And they must all sort of smell similar because they are all in a pile, right? But they can find it. They know what they're looking for. When you have a dog who's both blind and deaf, what kind of enrichment? I mean, I'm assuming food scatters and any toy that has food in it. But what are some other kinds of enrichment you do? So Vinny is my my collie and he was born blind and deaf and he loves to use his body. So he loves to step on things and over things. Um, he likes different surfaces. He likes to feel things on his body, like rub against something. So I use different surfaces. I use some things that are different heights, maybe some uh, pool noodles on the ground you know, for him to walk over as he's searching for food. He loves food. So any kind of food related, you know, scatters or trails with food, um, hidden food that he can can hunt for, food puzzle toys. He likes to tear up cardboard. So we've moved. We have a lot of cardboard and a lot of uh, packing paper. So I make those those boxes for him and I put the packing paper in and scatter some food or some favorite toys in there. He enjoys a bubble machine. Um, so that's something that's not food related. The bubbles have an odor uh, and there's a little bit of breeze coming out. He likes a breeze like from a fan. He likes to feel that. Um, and he can feel the bubbles kind of popping on him and he tries to catch them. It's really kind of cute. How did you discover the bubbles? I find that interesting. Uh, I just tried it out one day. I had the little bubble machine. I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder if he'll like even notice. And I was really surprised. He seemed to notice. He seemed to enjoy it. And even when I put it away, he continued to kind of search around for it. So some dogs like water. So you can use, um, you know, a splash pad or like a wading pool kind of thing. Vinny does not like water, so that doesn't work for him. But again, I try to think of all the different senses. So anything scent related doesn't have to be food. We often think of, you know, let's jump in and and use food because it's easy for us. But if you're going to the park, you're walking through the park and you see there's some pine cones or there's a bird's nest on the ground or something. Use a clean poop bag. We all have poop bags with us, right? Use a clean poop bag. Gather some things up from the park as you're walking. Take them home with you. You can reuse them. And if you put them in your yard for your dog to find, it's going to be a new smell in their yard. So their yard is, you know, they kind of know the smells of the yard. Imagine how exciting it would be for them to go out in the yard and find oh my gosh this smells like the park um so it doesn't have to be food necessarily um you can use fur from your friend's dog 
that your friend saves after they groom them um, or from their rabbit or their cat or, you know, whatever it is you can use. I've used orange peels. Like you can use all kinds of things to just give them something new to smell in their day. And here's a tip. If you have a puppy (laughs) and you don't want them to eat all these things, you can put them in a container, like a plastic empty butter or yogurt container that has a lid and just put some holes in the lid so they can still smell the thing and enjoy it. But you know, they're not going to like be swallowing a clump of dog hair or an orange peel or something like that. Yes. I've, I've learned a colander sitting in a bowl with the scent underneath works great. When one of my elderly dogs got to the point that he couldn't go it wasn't comfortable for him to go hiking and, and all that stuff with us anymore. When we would go, I would take paper bags and bring back, you know, debris from the side of the waterfall or from the, from this area or that area and bring it and put it on the deck for him. And he always thought that that was hysterical, right? That all of a sudden the deck had smells from other places that he could, check out and roll around in. Um, And I've actually even found that that works really well for really sensitive dogs for socialization. So really fearful dog, I can just bring novel things in for them to sniff and interact with um, where it is comfortable, kind of like on our deck or in the living room and let them have the new experience. That way is kind of a half measure. Yeah. And I love that, Tina. I love Doing that also, you know, when we first started talking today, you talked about seeing puppies that are, you know, have impairments that are in rescues and things like that. And it's really easy to overwhelm puppies as it is. Um, And then when you have puppies that need to be socialized even more carefully because they're, they're not gathering as much information through sight or through hearing i really like to start at a place where they're comfortable so even if they are in a rescue if they're in a foster home even if they're in a shelter like that becomes their environment that they feel comfortable in so bringing something new into that environment really enables us to kind of break it down and give them little pieces at a time rather than let's carry them to the park and sit them down in the middle of this huge park and let them experience it because that can be really scary and overwhelming, um, especially for a puppy that's blind. So, and, and even just sense from other people, right? Um, I tell this story a lot, so Julie's probably sick of hearing it, but I lived near an elementary school on Friday, almost every single week, someone has left something clothing related out in the, in the environment. I collect those things up and let the dogs smell them. So they are meeting those children. And then I launder them and put them in bags with a little note that says, you know, hope you had a great weekend. You are loved. And I zip tie it to the (laughs) fence and it'll be interesting to see if any of the school people ever figure out who's doing it. Um, (laughs) But it allows my dogs to interact with and smell children, all different children. And, and also for me to love those kids and love a little bit of community that they, that sweatshirt that they thought they would never see again, comes back clean with a sweet note in it. 
you know, and they don't have to know my dog sniffed it for a while first, right? <laughs> so for my really sensitive kiddos, it was a great way to do enrichment. It was fantastic. I do always wonder about the child who went home with one shoe because I only found one shoe. Um, like, were they abducted? Like, what happened? But, um, but yeah, like, I think we tend to, you're right, think of enrichment as, okay, throw some food in the Kong, or I try this, or I try that. I will also say my dogs love the idea of different things for enrichment. For example, um, we had to get together uh, with some of my staff, and we carved pumpkins, and somebody brought a fruit salad. And so after everybody left, one of the pot cake, I would actually, I did it with Marco and with Mr. We just tried different fruits, like obviously not grapes, but Marco wasn't really sure about honeydew at first. And then he decided that was really good. He hated pears and edamame, but the, the terrier thought those were great. Right. So it was interesting to me to be like, okay, well, that's interesting. You like watermelon, but you don't like pear. Okay. Like you get to like what you like, but my dogs think that stuff is hysterical. And I would assume that that would be the same for blind and deaf dogs, that they would be like, wait, are you asking me which one I like better? Like, like, what is this crazy conversation, silly human? I I personally live in an environment where I want my dogs to say to all other dogs, I have the weirdest owner ever. I think that that is a badge of honor. <laughs> so um, I do constantly try to just new things try a new flavor do you like chicken liver as much as you like beef liver definitely definitely and it is interesting my dogs you know some of them like things the other dogs don't and um and the other way around and also tina how can we present those things not only different flavors and different scents of food but how can we present them in different ways right so Stuffing them in a Kong or something, that's, you know, kind of common, right? But can we create a trail with turns and go under things and around things? Can we put them on different types of licky mats, right? So they're getting a different sensory experience as they are licking different things. A paper plate is going to feel a lot different than, um, you know, a licky mat with little pointed nubs. Uh, is going to feel totally different than putting them in like a a maize feeder bowl, right? Or in a, oh, I don't know, ice cream cone or, you know, something. So just a muffin tin. A muffin or tin, a, exactly. Or a, a, you know, an egg carton or in a shoe box that has, you know, I don't know, all my measuring cups in it too, <laughs> right? Things they have to move out of the way. Because, you know, they have the weirdest owner in the world who doesn't understand that covering that stuff up makes it more difficult. <laughs> well, one of the things I used to do with Zuzu is I had a six-hole muffin tin. And I'd put treats in uh, a two or three or whatever the muffins. And then I'd put tennis balls on top of the treats because Zuzu loves tennis balls. And so watching her, like she was so excited that there's tennis balls. And then, wait. There's more, you know, it's just sort of like there were treats. And that was so simple and easy. And yet it was great. She just loved it, you know. And and sometimes there was one treat, sometimes there was a treat in every one of them, you know, different kinds of treats, uh, different kinds of tennis balls. Sometimes they were green tennis balls, sometimes I used rubber balls, sometimes I used, 
you know, all different kinds of things. So I think that that enrichment, once you get the idea that it doesn't, you don't have to spend one a whole lot of money. Um, but one of the things, when you begin to realize, wait a minute, I can use something in a lot of different ways, then enrichment becomes just as much fun for you to create as it is for the dogs to do. And I think that one of the things that we, we've talked about in several podcasts, but I think it, it applies here as well, and you you talked about it a bit, was the idea of, of dogs feeling like they have some control over their environment. I think for dogs who have um, some disabilities, whether it's blind, deaf, or both, um, for them to feel like they have at least a little bit of control or, or agency over how things are going is going to produce a dog that's going to be much more comfortable with its environment and with the things that are going to happen that are going to be different and perhaps have the potential to be more difficult for a dog who doesn't be able to bring all of its capacity to bear. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And it is important, I think, for people to know that enrichment, like you said, it doesn't have to be expensive. Yes, there are a multitude of really fun things that you can go buy for your dog, but we can use just everyday items in new ways, you know, and we can, it, I mean, it's free to go collect pine cones from the park even, or uh, things from, you know, like next to the waterfall, like you mentioned. But I also think it's important that we know that enrichment doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be difficult for our dogs. Um and sometimes if you haven't done enrichment before and you try something with your dog and it's too hard, they will just kind of give up and, and not engage with whatever it is. And you might think, oh, they don't like this. But enrichment should be fun and easy and your dog should be able to be successful with it. The challenge comes, I think, with how can we make it different, right? Just like we've been talking about and not how can we make it more and more and more challenging because that's not always the best option for each right dog. it's not about making it harder i i sometimes struggle in listening sometimes with not you with other sometimes other trainers talking about like when it when the dog gets good at it make it harder i'm like well isn't that kind of punishing them for being successful like if you if you're the person who always makes my life harder, I'm not going to be super invested uh, in that particular game very long, right? Because I'm like, okay, no, like this was supposed to be fun. It's not just always supposed to be harder. Harder doesn't mean it's more fun always. Sometimes it does, and some dogs love that challenge, but I don't know that all do. Yeah, I I'm reminded of, you know, my teenage son with his video games. And there's this urge and this competition for them to, you know, get to this level and get to that level and get to, you know, and so they're always trying to, the game's always making it harder, 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 harder. But as my son and his friends are sitting there and they're playing these games, first they start out having fun. And as they get to those higher levels, they start to get frustrated. They start to get a little antsy with each other. Right. And so you can kind of see the energy and the intensity and the frustration revving up as they as things are getting harder and harder because they're not able to be successful. Right. And so they're every time something happens that they're 
not successful, it's a frustration and they get they get a little angry and they get more intense. Um, and I think of the things that I like to do in my day that I guess I could call enrichment. And I do them because I enjoy them, not because I want to struggle with them. Um, and so if I can do things and and enjoy them, then I feel kind of this calm contentedness. And I think that's what we all want for our dogs is we don't want them to be like exhausted. We want them to be calm and content and, you know, able to just kind of hang out with us. And so I think in order to do that, we need to think of enrichment as something that's enjoyable and engaging as opposed to I'm going to exhaust you so that, you know, you go lay down over there in the corner um, you know, and leave me alone while I play my game or, you know, sit on the computer or whatever. Well, I think then what happens is that um, the dog ceases to be engaged. You know, then the dog feels like it's lost its agency, it's lost any control because you just keep making this more and more difficult. And I thought it was fun and you're going to lose the dog, I think, over time when you continue in that vein. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time. So I wanted to ask you, um, is there anything in particular that you want our listeners to be able to find on your website or um, anything in particular that we haven't talked about that you think is important for them to know? I just want to say real quick, you know, thank you, first of all, for approaching me to join you, because I think this is something that's, it's not talked about a lot. And I think it's something that everyone who lives with dogs at some point is going to have to deal with, um, whether it's with, you know, an, an accident or an injury or, you know, your dog that you've had for, you know, 16 years. And, and so we need to prepare ourselves, I think. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, this is a specialty of mine. So I have programs that help people and their dogs to deal with the transition into blindness. I have a program specifically about what we've talked about today, different types of enrichment, and goes into um, things that you can do at home that will you know, stimulate all the senses that your dog has left, you know, what whatever they are, and can help prepare them for a transition by giving them all kinds of options, things that they can learn to do now and and learn that are enjoyable. I also keep a blog. Um, so if you're looking for just some free tips and resources, uh, you'll find the blog there. My website is www.yourinnerdog.com. And um, I have a couple books that I've published about uh, specifically dogs that are both blind and deaf. Uh, but you'll find tips in there for, you know, dogs of either. And I guess, you know, I, if you want to get a hold of me, that's how to do it. Go okay, to the website and, and get a hold of me that way. And I'm always happy to, to help you to answer your questions and uh, whether you are uh, a caregiver or a professional, I'm always, always available. That's great. The, um, your books are available on your website, if I remember correctly. Yes, uh, the links are all there. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been very interesting. And I think you've got some really important things to share with the world for these, our blind and deaf dogs, and that it gives hope to families 
that just because their dog has developed a disability doesn't mean it's lost its joy for life because you can help it find its joy in a new way. So thank you so much for sharing that. Tina, you got anything you want to add? Deb, it was great to meet you. And I hope you'll come back and talk about enrichment uh, and these issues, these really important issues in the future. Because I think often people don't realize like you're probably headed there. Your dog is probably going to lose one of their faculties at some point. And having resources available to make sure that they feel happy and enriched and loved and um, and engaged with the world is really important. So I love that you've made that your mission and your special gift to the world. Oh, thank you. And I would love to come back anytime. Well, you have our booking calendar. So you just sign <laughs> yourself up and we will have you back. All right. Sounds good. Right. Thanks. And uh, we look forward to hearing you all or seeing you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.